Welcome to the Cycling Central podcast for another look at this week's or this fortnight, I should say, cycling. Before we start, uh, let me uh, remind you that you can uh, download or stream this podcast from our website, sbs.com.au slash central or from our SoundCloud, soundcloud.com slash central. I'm Christophe Mallet and I'm your host. Uh, joining me in the studio today, we've got Bridie Hodonel. Hi, Bridie. Hi, how are you? Lovely to have you uh, back here on the, on the Cycling Central podcast. Same goes for Matthew Kinnan. Hi, Matt. Hey. Tennis was good, wasn't it? The tennis was excellent. But now let's talk cycling. And, let's do uh, it. <laughs> and Maka, Maka uh, is here. I am here. It's good to be in the uh, whatever we're in. It's this good. time we're it's in nice. a studio, not uh, on by the side of the that, tram. Like we yeah, did last exactly. Time. <laughs> yes, that's right. It's nice to be in air conditioned. Uh, let's uh, have a look at what happened in the last uh, two weeks of uh, this year, last two weeks since the last podcast, the Errol Sun Tour with a great winner, Esteban Chavez. It would have been disappointing if Esteban didn't win. On paper, he was clearly the pre-race favourite, having been second at the Giro and third at the Vuelta. But the highlight for me, for the Jayco Herald Sun Tour, was Brody Chapman. We had such a privilege, I think, to see the way that she raced that stage, the way she climbed and rode away from the group she was in, dropped the, the German rider from Trek Drops, held off the World Time Trial champion on the descent. That was so cool to watch. And then holding her own in the time trial to not lose any time yeah. or yeah, I think I think we all agree, and mine's similar. But it, it was the moment you're at the finish line, Matt and Brady. I think you were too. I was at the start when when Van Vluten went to go down the ramp. There was a swarm of people with cameras filming her. She had the world championship strip on, and I just thought, how cool is this? How cool is this? And and I know, I know we bat on about it, but it's. And I'll say it again, the women deserve it, finally. And I feel like, finally, there's some traction with... with I don't think we bat on about it at all. No, <laughs> I don't think no. it does get discussed but, but enough. you don't want it to sound like it's, uh, you know, we're giving... Um... No, I'm not, I'm not talking about Brodie Chapman's performance for the sake of talking about women's cycling. Mm. I'm talking about Brodie's performance because of the performance. That was good. She's yeah. a woman who took a couple of extra days leave from work. She missed all last season with an injury. And she didn't just win local cyclists. This was not an NRS event. She beat the world champion, the world's number one cyclist. This woman should not be working full-time. This woman should be on a team in Europe racing against the best. Do you think she will after this? I hope so. I think there are teams getting a mobile phone number and giving her a call. She's That's... already had a couple of apparently. That's won't... It's great. Yeah, It's a great story and I think also she emulates a lot of the behaviour that both young men and women who've ridden in the NRS which is that they might move from one team to another they're not always able to find the fit, they're not always able to find form. Uh, then to have a breakout race in your home country your hometown in front of the best DSs in the world, like what a way to have a job interview. It's yeah, it terrific. Was, it was fantastic. On to the performance of Esteban Chavez I thought he was fantastic in that he was the pre-race favourite and he delivered. It would have been more of a conversation about Esteban if he didn't win. In terms of the race itself, there was great credibility to the race. The only prologue was won by a triple Olympic Games gold medalist. Stage one was won by a one-time Olympic Games gold medalist. The next stage was won by the Danish national champion. And then we had a Colombian, Esteban Chavez, win the next stage. So the four, first four days were won by world-class international athletes. And then the fifth day was won by one of the world's nicest guys, Sam Crone, who was the feel-good story of the tour. So as a race, I thought it did really well. And... He was the only Australian to win a stage, which was actually good. We want Aussies to go well, of course, but it makes it look better. It makes the, makes the race look better and gives it more cred in terms of the field when you've got the, well, the riders that you said that just won stages. Look at second and third place that day. Second place was Cameron Meyer. Mm. 
what's he, eight, seven or eight-time world champion. He's been Australian time trial champion, top ten in one-week tours in Europe. And then you had in third place from Trek Segafredo, world tour rider, the Portuguese national champion, Ruben Guerrero. It was a world-class win by Sam Crowe. You made a comment, I think, earlier in that um, the coverage of the final stage where we talked about the fact that you can't arrive at a world tour race just to be there. It's the summer, I'm out of shape, you know. And that, I think, adds even more credence to the results because these athletes have been at Tour Down Under... They're not on holiday. Uh, mm. Mitchell and Scott certainly have a fair amount of pressure on their back uh, as the naming sponsor of one of the stages. So it's a great victory for cycling in Australia to say, and particularly for Victoria, after the, the Tour Down Under, for us to have a race that's of high calibre. Yeah. What does that say for Chavez and his hope for, for the whole year, his form? Is he picking at the right time? Oh, you as we've said, when Cadell Evans was in good form at the start of the season, or Richie Port in good form at the start of the season, you're better off being able to maintain and build form as opposed to chasing form. And I think he's in the right spot, particularly after the tough year that he had in 2017. It was really important for him to get it off to a good start. Yeah, and I think the reality is, too, for these guys, his form's probably just standard, but he's a level ahead of everyone else. He attacked at the base of Lake Mountain. So he did 20 kilometres, effectively solo, and rode away from you know everyone there i mean the 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 big result was uh, the other young kid Alex Evans Alex mm. Evans i mean that was that was an exceptional ride and i loved it that <laughs> we all went who is this kid and right. uh, i thought it was brilliant but i just enjoyed commentating on the name Evans going up a mountain <laughs> <laughs> no, Evans, there were yeah. some great team performances by uh, sunshine coast team um, yep. brisbane continental yep. team but benelong's wellness all week had oh, performed yeah, incredibly yeah, well and i thought that Cyrus monk wrote a great stage given that he probably didn't make tactically great decisions 12 months ago on that stage. He tried, probably tried to go for too much and he gave it his best shot yeah. on Sunday. He was also uh, riding with an injury that he didn't tell anyone about. The week before the Sun Tour got underway he was playing backyard cricket, toe crusher, fractured toe. Oh, fractured toe. So he, he rode the race with a fractured wow, toe. Wow, that changes a lot. Ben. Big toe yeah. or pinky? I'm not sure about the details there, <laughs> That's, That's a good question, Max. Absolutely. Medically, it's important. Totally. <laughs> I'll get you to tweet this one. <laughs> Uh, overall, the, uh, if we just widen up the discussion around the, the summer of cycling, um, it's, it's been a pretty good summer of cycling, pretty good season. It has, and I think probably for the first time in a long time, having no Baycrit series because of the timing of New Year's Day and the Nationals. Mm. Um, but we did see probably more athletes down at the track carnivals in Tasmania, regionally racing. So it wasn't as devastating a loss as we might have anticipated, and we did get some great performances at Road Nationals. Mm, agree. Yeah. Couldn't have, and I love the Bay Crits. I think we all love the Bay Crits and have raced them and worked on them, but I agreed totally. And that was a good point. I didn't think of that, that you probably got a lot of those riders that then went to the track carnivals, and so that's good. I've got three highlights with a strong Australian bias. Shannon Molseed winning the national championships in Buninyong, Brody beating the world champion, getting the better of Adam Van Vluten, and Sam Crome winning that last stage in King Lake. They were my three highlights. The Cad Elevens Classic, it's, it's now, I mean, it started not so long ago. Is it maturing to becoming quite a major event for that summer of cycling? It yes. has to be there on that calendar? Yes, it is. Yeah, and this year and last year were really crunch years because the first year was an easy sell. It's Cadell's last race. Mm-hmm. The second year is also an easy race. Cadell's first year, not in the race. And then years three, four and five are always really difficult for an event like this. There were less people standing on the side of the road, but that's really easy to explain. It was 42 degrees. Yeah. <laughs> so at every sporting event around the country, there were less people well, we saw it at the tennis. out there watching. 
but there were more people watching the television and there were more eyeballs on the event on social media. So the event has grown and I think it will continue to grow and it will form a really part of the Australian Summer of Cycling. Uh, clearly the Tour Down Under is number one and I think the Ket 11's Great Ocean Road Race is in position number two. Any other big news uh, during the last week? Nick Green, uh, CEO of Cycling Australia, is departing. He will be replaced by the former Cycling Australia uh, director, Stephen Drake. Um, I wonder if that was from the hard-hitting interview that Macker and Kino did a couple of weeks ago. You know what? I, I was no. wondering that. Well, he's he just given up. Well, I wouldn't know, but I'd, I would imagine it was brewing. Uh, <laughs> quite a way before that. Yeah, so. but Nick Green's done a good job, I think, for Cycling Australia. Uh, I think the jury's out. Okay. I won't say he has, I won't say he hasn't. I say yes. Um, I think, I think what, what he, when he took over, I think he took over at the worst possible yep. time. Uh, the, the, the governing body was almost bankrupt. And so I think anyone to take over then mm-hmm. is an extremely tough job. What I don't like seeing is people now criticising immediately that he's gone and they, you know, they're looking at the exterior. Uh, they haven't gone in and seen any of the work that he's done. Uh, I'm sure he's done some good work, but I don't, I don't really rate that. It's easy to sit back and criticise. I tell you right now, I would never want to do that job, <laughs> and I would never have wanted to do the job, especially when he took over. So I think we've got to give him some credit for at least you know that position and holding that position for three years a really tough job and a tough time i think there's a broader question too um and this is something i'm seeing more and more in my new job is that whether or not federated models work for these types of sports and i think that that's a discussion that needs to happen in cycling i think it needs to happen in round ball football as well um perhaps even with cricket i think that it's not always servicing the user or the athlete well it may not be servicing the clubs as well as it could be how's it work the federated model in basic terms and how do you think it should work what do you think it should change to? There could be a, com- a commission for cycling and then there could be little satellite pods in every state and territory that manage that. There could be staff that run events, staff that look after insurance, uh, people who c- coordinate clubs. But I think that there's a lot of friction between cycling Victoria and Australia and that's just an example I'm not saying there is but in the same way that Cricket Victoria and Cricket Australia or FFV and FFA have challenges around what's your agenda and your priorities and why aren't you looking after this club or that organisation as well as they could mm. a lot, there's, there's a fractured lot of... relationships yeah. I think we, we've all been in the sport long enough, long enough. I think we're not, we're not saying anything that's too far-fetched here. There are fractured relationships between the states, all of the states and the national body on some level. A lot of that comes down to resources. Tennis, as an example, is the same sort of model. There's Tennis Australia and then Tennis Victoria New South Wales, Tasmania, Western Australia, etc. And they all love Tennis Australia because Tennis Australia gets a few hundred million dollars into the bank every (laughs) year in the Australian (laughs) Open and they hand it out. So it's really easy to make friends when you're giving away money. But the position that sports like cycling are in, and they're welfare sports essentially, because they're on welfare, government welfare. They're funded by taxpayer money. And it's harder to be able to be everybody's friend when you're doing that. And it's interesting watching the reaction to Stephen Drake's appointment. Most of it's been positive. But there's some comments that I've read from people that clearly don't know the guy, and they're not happy that somebody that's been an elite cyclist has been appointed. Because how elite cyclists know what it's like at the grassroots? Well, every elite cyclist started at the grassroots. I think we underestimate athletes too often and 
I wrote that article after the uh, Cadell Evans won the Tour de France when Mia Friedman was sort of chastised for her really dismissive tone around him not being a hero and athletes can't be heroes. And I said, oh, I think you picked the wrong guy there because yeah. uh, firstly, he's an amazing role model for young people in mm. grassroots sport, but also he's very politically minded and, and yes. an activist. Yeah. So, um, but I said that, you know, we think of heroes as being some things, but we don't allow athletes to be them. And sure, not all athletes put their hand up to be role models. But and not all of them are. Exactly. Mm. But there's also some incredibly intelligent, well-educated, um, great EQ yeah. athletes that have represented their sport. And in cycling, most people haven't made a living. They're not NFL players that are making 50 mil. But getting back to your earlier point as well around cycling, the challenge for that sport is we don't, we don't make revenue out of it. You can't charge all those spectators that were at King Lake on Sunday. Uh, we have lots of challenges around police and road closures. And from what I understand in New South Wales, there's uh, pretty much no way you can start a new bike race event in that state just because of the dynamic between road closures, issues around what's your ter- anti-terrorism plan and the race event says, wow, how do we? How can we account for any possibility? So mm-hmm. that's a challenge that the, the new board and the new CEO will have to overcome. Yeah, but just on Stephen Drake in terms of his credentials, when he won an Australian road title and he won the Graf in Inverell, at the same time he was also completing his honours at Melbourne University in a commerce law degree. And when people like Macca were on their way out training, he was on his way home from training, having been at the door at four o'clock, to then go to university. And he spent 20-plus years at UBS Bank, working his way to the position of being the co-head of all industries across the whole of Asia. You're pretty smart if you're able to achieve that, yeah. in my opinion. He's probably, correct me if I'm wrong, and, I don't, and this in some ways is irrelevant, but he's possibly the smartest guy that has taken on that role now but he's also he's also got the cycling experience. He knows yeah. the sport and he's got a passion for it. He doesn't need to do this role. Oh, I think financially I think can, he would we be can say that financially he, he would be earning a quarter less yes. than what he was previously. Yeah. He's not doing it for the money. He's probably independently wealthy given yeah. the sort of income he would have been on. And all of that aside, he's again, doing it because he's ju- passionate yeah, about the sport. Yeah, but all of that aside, to be fair, the jury's out, and it doesn't mean he's going to do a, br- a great job. It he's got to prove himself. He's got to prove himself. And he's got a job ahead of him. And but let's at the beginning, let's how about we all get behind him, give him a chance. Him, yeah, what's his chance. relationship with uh, UCI and the higher levels? It's of about cycling? to start. It's, it's about, about to start. start. Yes, yes. No? there wouldn't be. I would wouldn't. imagine board members don't have any, particularly with the new UCI president. So. Yeah. Perhaps that dynamic will be established with the chair, Steve Brax, and with Tracy Gordry and her relationship already. But I think uh, he's coming from a fresh place, which is not a bad thing. Um, So, you know, we've got to support him until he proves otherwise. Mm. Okay, let's talk about Froome. We have to talk about Froome. He announced, or Sky announced uh, earlier on this week that Christopher Froome then will start his season at uh, uh, Ruta del Sol. Uh, Matt... No more uh, photos of the babies. No, 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 no. But then the <laughs> test guy, test guy, did the best tweet of all time. And somebody, I can't remember his name, Robert Ironman or something or other, sent it to me on social media. It was guys out for a train ride from Team Sky stopping for a coffee somewhere in France, and they've taken a phone behind them is Pharmacia. They posted it. They didn't get the fright filter. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. Innocent uh, mistake, but gee, it was funny. Yeah. I think it's crazy. He should he should not race. He's it's this. They are obviously just using the tactic of you know the media, social media to the to the max that everything's fine. I'm good. I'm innocent. So why shouldn't I be allowed to race? Yada yada yada. And all I can say now is this wall is getting higher and higher, and it means it's going to fall heavier when it does. Because I know Matt, we we talked about it. You are 
hating the fact that this could become a circus because we you Food yeah, has. will yeah. uh, basically because you will commentate on some of the races yep. knowing something might be pending yeah and it, it takes me back to 2011 when alberto contador raced in a period where he actually should have been suspended and he won the giro d'italia to only then have it taken off him and almost every time you see him on camera you're asking yourself the question, do I need to make reference to the yes. positive test at this point? With him, it was the clenbuterol. Now, with each time Froome is on there, do we have to make reference to the selbutamol? What happens when he wins the stage? It just doesn't look good for the sport. Innocent or guilty, I don't think he should be racing until it's resolved. Can I ask a question to all of you? And I'll confess, <laughs> I, don't, I don't read into all the nitty-gritties of this. He starts racing now, starts racing Ruta del Sol. Let's say it drags on for four or five months, and then finally they say, no, listen, we're finding you guilty of some sort. You're going to have to take a backdated nine-month ban. When does that nine-month ban begin? With Alberto Contador, it began when the test was done. So he had a two-year suspension and ended up only not racing for about six months. But the res- that's the issue, is, is around the results and his ability to affect results by being in an event. He races Ruta del Sol. Where does it start from? Back the prior test that to was that, taken or in from September. Rudel Sol? No, the one in September. Mm-hmm. That's when the test was. I don't done. agree with that. I, I think it's crazy. And I agree with you. <laughs> and I think it's crazy. <laughs> well, just maybe. What, what is the doctor me. in the room thinking? I think it's um, it shows a stagnation in their desire to Im- impose a sanction. And it also shows that the message or the punishment is different for him than if it would be for a lesser-known rider who was a non-Tour de France and Vuelta winner um, with a lesser PR machine and a Sir David behind him. I was going to say, do they now throw... This is, I think this is the, the potential as well, is that Sky and Froome throw squillions behind it to find some minute loophole that really, in, in all things considered logical, doesn't exist, but they're getting off. And, and it's, it's very possible. Yeah. And I think we've seen that at a more base level. We talk about, say, nandrolone, testosterone doping in athletics years ago. It's still not an equal. We could say, oh, let's let everybody dope and then it's an equal 100 metres. But what you've got is some people with access to good doctors, good pharmacists, mm. good strategies. And then you've got that young bloke who was from Sierra Leone who got busted the year that Carl won. And with the long socks, I can't remember his name, but you know he <laughs> got busted because he probably didn't take the right dose. He didn't have the right management. So it's not an equal playing field. It yeah. actually still comes down to the GDP of your country. And anti-doping is about protecting people from themselves. It's a health issue, really. Absolutely it is, because but, we know if we ask athletes, would you rather win a gold and be dead in 10 years, They 90% of them say, I'll take the gold. Crikey. Uh, you know what I'm going to do, though, and, and I'll let you guys in on it if you want. I've already reserved a front row seat at the opening press conference for Team Sky at the Tour de France, just in case Froomey turns up, because <laughs> it is going to be so much fun. And I won't, I'm not even going to ask one question. Just, could you live stream it for us? Because yeah, we want to be will, there. Yeah, for a small fee, I'm going to actually create a platform and charge a fee for people to watch it. Can I'm in early. It? <laughs> He's already comping out, please. I'll, I'll, I'll provide you with some seed funding. <laughs> Uh, any other business? Uh, the Indian Pacific wheel race will not take place this year. Um, what do we think of this? I love the event. Yeah, I love it. I, I love the history of the cycling in our country. And I mean, back in the days of Opperman and Mockridge and all this, and I love those overlanders, the original the stories, and I've read about them. So I love the event. But I must say, I have 
changed my thinking of it in recent months. And it was a conversation with Dave Sanders, actually, and we started to butt heads on it. And I said, no, it's, I, I, know, I know it's terrible. A, a guy was, was killed on the event. I said, we don't know exactly what happened. I said, let's not jump to conclusions. And I still say that. However, Dave Sanders said, he said, I believe they should not be allowed to race after dusk and before dawn. And I walked away and thought about it, and I thought, yep, maybe he's right. So there's some challenges. Yeah, there's some challenges around that logistically, though. And I was Mm. of the same opinion until I'd spoken to Rupert Guinness a bit more about it. And you don't know where the safe places are to stop. So it might be coming down to uh, dusk, and you actually need to keep going another hundred kilometres to get somewhere safe to be able to sleep. Yeah. So it's not quite as simple as that. I agree with that in theory, Mm. but it's not quite as simple as that. And it's an event that I admire, but I've got zero interest in ever doing something like the Indy Pack wheel race. But I admire the people that do it. And we're all at risk when we ride. It, the, my call was killed at about 20 past six in the morning. That's when most of us actually ride our bikes. Yes. So let's not crush the human spirit and be a complete nanny state because it's a lot more dangerous to spend the rest of your life sitting on the couch doing nothing, eating donuts. Mm. The other thing I really loved about the event was it showcased all these riders that some of us had never heard of, uh, both men and women, varying ages, varying abilities. It did Um, have one massive negative impact, though, and that was on the economy of anybody employing cyclists because they were completely distracted by watching dots. That's true. Yeah, I was dot watching. Who wasn't dot watching? Yeah. It was, and it, was, it became this running thing through that month. Who's dot watching? It was great. And we loved it, didn't yeah, we? Yeah, it was terrific. Yeah. So we don't know if the race will come back in 2019. At the minute, it's suspended for 2018. And I believe it's because there is an inquiry uh, still in place in the death of Mike Hall. I guess we'll have to uh, stay tuned. Yeah. And, well, uh, and either follow. way, I've got the utmost empathy for people like Jesse Carlson and all those involved in organising it and obviously Mike's family and so on and I do hope that the race comes back Absolutely I won't do it (laughs) (laughs) I might One last thing and I think uh, Maka and I we had that discussion where we were at the Tour de France and I think Maka and Bridie you had another discussion lately Uh, life after cycling you know what happens next after you've been an athlete and and that's a very hot subject of, of, of discussion some people might have read an article written by Campbell Flakemore, who was a young writer, um, sort of going to be the next best thing, the next best GC or Tour de France winner for Australia. A lot of pressure and expectation was placed on him. And he wrote a pretty interesting article describing what his final year of cycling was like. And I think we all had responses, some of which were visceral, to the things <laughs> that he'd written. Um, and I was just really interested to hear your perspective on that, Macca, because um, maybe the life of a, a professional cyclist, the way you lived it, the way I lived it, and now way some of these young men and women are living it has changed a lot and we don't talk enough about perhaps how hard it is? No, no. Yeah, okay. So firstly, and I'll try and be really brief, my opinion on Campbell Flakemore's article was I saw it and it was there was a fair bit of chatter on social media so I went, okay, I'm going to read this. I read it and I was disappointed. I went, well, you're not, nothing's jumping out at me here with excitement in terms of the article. You're not telling me something that I haven't heard before. Sorry, Campbell. Toughen up. And by the way, you haven't failed. And I mean that sincerely. Campbell Flakemore hasn't failed. Cycling was not for him. It was quite apparent in the article that he knew that fairly early on. He almost retired before he uh, joined BMC. So I sort of went, well, the, the story's been told plenty of times before. And then I guess the second part, and more about life after cycling for any athlete, we're all different, aren't we? We all have um, different different philosophies on what we should be doing when we're athletes or or, be, or post that, 
I went all in. From my example, I went all in. I finished year 12. I failed it miserably and I was determined to become a professional cyclist. Now, I became a professional cyclist. I certainly didn't make a living that I could live off for the rest of my life. Otherwise, I wouldn't be in this room with you guys. Oh, <laughs> That's, nice. Nice. <laughs> That's nice. That's nice. Super nice. You'd be living on a yacht. Christoph, Brian, would you like to go to lunch after this? Because Mac is not invited. <laughs> yeah, let's have a latte afterwards. Thank you. I mean, it's, um, and I don't have any regrets whatsoever. Now, other people who, who did something like that may have... You know, who had that that fine line of oh, I want to go to uni. I'm smart. I knew fairly on, fairly early on academically that I wasn't going to be a, you know, smash it out of the park. And I went, well, cycling. This is my thing. So I think and what... I've got to find a way. So, I mean, what what did you think? Because you you're a late coming to cycling. You came across from rowing. You're obviously very good at school, very good at uni. You're now a doctor. But when you got into the sport, and as a female in the sport which is a lot lower than the male side of the sport in terms of financial return, what was your initial thoughts? I wanted to give it everything the way you did, and I was I, that's why I quit my job and moved over there and was willing to accept my enormous salary of €10,000. <laughs> I was getting paid. I thought <laughs> I was a big deal. <laughs> but I did. It was interesting. People would say to me, don't worry if you don't do well or don't get selected for Worlds or Olympics. You've still got your job to fall back on. And I'd say, I don't want to have a job to fall back on. I want to be did like Cadell. Yeah, really yeah. irritated me because I thought, yeah. I'm giving it 100%. But yeah. what, of course, I realise now is they're absolutely right and that I was in teams with young women and saw other young women and men who do nothing else but ride and you worry for them. You worry for their welfare in terms of if you're in this little bubble and you're focusing on it, even, even if you're doing well or not well, what are your options? And I think also we need to look at the nurture part of it or the nature part, whichever one. But if you grow up in an environment where your parents are telling you you're amazing, you're going to be the best, then you go to the best team in your state, the best team in your country, the best team in the world. You've never even had to cultivate any sort of interest in any other thing mm. while I do a trade, will I go to uni, will I work for my uncle, you know. And we've seen some terrible behaviour from retired cyclists, particularly some of the track cyclists. Gary Newan's a good example of someone where we think a lot of commentary is, what could have been done earlier? Should the AIS have, you know, supported the mental health of some of these athletes? I don't know, Matt, what do you think about um, the responsibility of governing bodies or teams to cultivate that other life? It's really hard to put an old head on young shoulders. And the key thing to have around you is the right role models. That's absolutely fundamental. And your approach, I've had this conversation with Matt Wilson as well, and he was, I don't want to have a plan B because I want it to be this. And now he's in a position where he's recognised the risk of not having a plan B. So he's actually established a team himself, Australian Cycling Academy, to make sure guys don't make the same mistakes that he made, and he made it. But he's wanting to make sure that they actually do get an education. For me, ironically, as we talk about Stephen Drake as the new CEO, he was, and he's unaware of this, he was a role model to me of what I needed to do because I had that dream that Macca had, and I watched a guy like Stephen Drake, and he was winning an Australian title and doing a law commerce degree, and I wasn't winning an Australian title, and I wasn't doing a law commerce degree, <laughs> and I thought, well, just maybe I'm not as good at riding a bike as I think I am, <laughs> so perhaps I should actually go and get an education. So I went back to university as a 23-year-old and got an education, and that's led me down to the path that I'm down now. So you need, you need really good role models around you, and a lot of that starts at home. A lot of it starts at home. And you talk about that people blowing wind up your backside. There's a lot of athletes in this world that suffer the ill effects of too much wind blown up their ass from mm. an early age. Yep. And 
you know, your, your parents play a really big role in that. And there was a really good cartoon that was done recently, and it's from a parent-teach interview. And one picture was from 1970, and the, the kid had bad marks, and the parents had turned around and they're remonstrating with the kid, what have you been doing? And the other one is from 2014, and the kid's got bad marks, and the parents have turned to the teacher, what are you doing? Classic. <laughs> yeah. Let's take a bit of responsibility Classic. for ourselves. Yeah, absolutely. Just, and just on that as well, and you'd be interested in this, both of you, with your, your passion for tennis, I saw uh, just a few nights ago an interview with Leighton Hewitt uh, around the Davis Cup talking about Brennan Tomic, mm-hmm. and he said, we've thrown so much at him as in support. We've helped him so much. There's only... And he was quite frank. It was actually really interesting. He's great, Leighton. Yeah, and he said, there's only so much we can do. You've got to help yourself sometimes. The old lead the horse to water story. Yeah, exactly. And And also when we tell and identify, we look at what's per kilo and how skinny are you and how well Mm. you can go up the climb. Are you measuring will? Are you measuring desire and motivation? Simon Gerrans. Absolutely. Classic. Would not test through the roof in any Cavendish of that stuff. Cavendish never has. Spratty was not well, great. You exactly. Know, that but character. he's not the best. Um, no, he's a great role model. We know that. So that's not. you'll know where I'm going with it. He went all in. Oh, he was Simon all in. Simon yeah. went all in. <laughs> Didn't know? he just? He, and good on him. And we but, that, when but, it's, but it's the, success. The, the, the character that Simon has shown to be successful on the bike, he can transfer those skills to anything He'll in life. totally transfer it post-cycle. Yeah. Uh, he could yeah. go into the most boring role counting numbers as a... I don't know, an investment banker or something, and be successful if he wanted to do that, just because he is so damn determined. Mm. And sport teaches you a lot of that stuff. Okay, but this concludes our podcast for today. Thank you guys for coming. Thank so you, Brady. we're going to lunch and Mac is not? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, no, I still like <laughs> He's going to his maxi yacht. Um, yeah. <laughs> 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 and we finish on this. Uh, thank you guys for coming. This is it for the Cycling Central podcast this week. Uh, let me remind you that uh, you can uh, download or stream this podcast on our website, sbs.com.au slash central or from our SoundCloud, soundcloud.com slash cycling central. Until we meet again in a fortnight, stay safe on your bikes and we'll see you next time. Bye for now. <laughs>